Hey everybody, this is Marty. Welcome to my third episode of my podcast. Um, I'm super excited. Today my podcast got on Spotify and it's um, being reviewed to be on Apple Podcasts too. I'm sure some of you might be listening on those platforms right now. So I'm super stoked and um, especially excited because today I'm interviewing my friend Claudio about Tibetan Buddhism and Stoicism, um, two super interesting philosophies and uh, let's just get right into it. Hey. What's up, Claudio? Oh, uh, not much. So, am I right that you um, did some research with a professor at OSU about Tibetan Buddhism? Uh, um, yeah, so, um, Joffrey Barstow, a professor in the College of Liberal Arts who studies Tibetan Buddhism, um, assigned me a task to read autobiographies and biographies of Tibetan Buddhists. <laughs> um, yeah. What was that like? And, um, it was pretty interesting. Uh, well, I think, uh, most, like, autobiographies, uh, seem a bit repetitive because a lot of the Buddhists talk about how they read the same things and um, they all seem to have a similar life because their lives are just trying to be minimalist. And um, uh, one thing that I focused on uh, in the research is instances where Buddhists went into retreat. And um, an instance of that is like uh, a Buddhist is at a monastery and he's just like learning practices from his guru, and um, he's just had enough learning. So he spends about a month in a cave in isolation, drinking tea and not eating much and just contemplating on what he's learned and how it applies to his life. Um, there's a lot of degrees of uh, uh, retreats. There's... um. It really depends on what the retreatant or the master of the retreatant wants to get out of it. Uh, sometimes there's a fixed duration, and um, you can have a formal series of uh, uh, like uh, uh, intermissions in it to um, learn some more practices. Uh, you could go with a small group or just by yourself and. Um, Really, uh, <clears throat> most of the time, people just want to spend it by themselves because it's mostly about um, uh, kind of acknowledging what's going on in your life and how uh, you can live without any of it. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, let's see. Uh, the, there's this one really good book called um, Rainbow Essence, The Life and Teachings of Jetson Ningpo. Mm -hmm. Jetson Ningpo. And that, that was and, a, um, a Buddhist monk? Yeah, that's right. He's uh, He was alive during the mid... Let's see. I'm looking up the... Uh, uh, he was alive during the mid-17th century. And the one thing he said to his disciples in a, in a poem 
He said, my followers, my faith and devotion, don't waste your lives. Live and retreat. And, um, yeah, it's, um, just kind of a stoic way of living their lives. And, um, kind of just, uh, well, this one particular guru is a bit of a cynic and really didn't like the way that the world was turning out and how Tibet was dealing with politics. Mm -hmm. And that's apparently reflected in this one quote of his. Um, yeah. Uh, what else would you want to know about, uh, what's going on with, um, well, Buddhism. so is the point is the point of all Buddhism to like achieve Nirvana? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, that's typically what people want to get out of it, and most Buddhists realize that they have to sacrifice that just to teach other people to achieve Nirvana. And um, oh, is that what like a a Bodhisattva is? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, have you been uh? Yeah, I've, up. I've been doing some research. Yeah, I think I remember oh, okay. learning about some of this in my world religions class in high school, but we didn't talk a lot about Buddhism. Oh, okay. But I think it's super interesting, like how you're supposed to like learn everything through meditation, right? Um. Yeah, pretty much. It's that's uh, that's um what a Buddhist typically aims for is um just. Uh, kind of living in equanimity with everything that's going on. And um, I was recently looking at Stoicism, the philosophy Stoicism, and how it relates to uh, Buddhism. And um, Stoicism originated uh, in about 600 BC. And um, it's... Uh, aim is to pretty much remove anxiety and anger from people's lives by accepting the nature of life and the situation that everybody's put in and something stoics talk about are three types of roles that people have in the world mm -hmm. uh, there's a macro role which is our place in human society um, so just living on earth Mm -hmm. And then there's a meso role, which is our role in society and the people around us. So that's being a father or being somebody who works at an electrical company, making sure people uh, have electricity. And then there's a micro role, which is the, um, the things we do for ourselves and our own personal lives. Um, and so... We kind of uh, are, are uh, the role we need to focus on most is our macro role and making sure that everything we do is good for the human race. And then what we do, and then next is what we do for the people immediately around us, such as our parents or our children, if you have children. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last thing you should really think about is what you do for yourselves. So. Um, I feel like that uh, is really a lot of the same vein as um, uh, Tibetan Buddhism. So, if you're interested in that, 
It's kind of like like seeing outside yourself or like Yeah, pretty much. It's mainly about realizing that uh it's honorable to just accept the conditions we're put in and have an indifferent attitude towards everything we can't control. Is it asceticism? Uh, pardon? Is it asceticism? Like What's that? like denying yourself like um enjoyment or like satisfaction oh yeah pretty much yeah that's that's what stoics <laughs> believe in a lot um it's basically just find, finding calmness and resilience in everything we can't control so people typically just strive to uh achieve the goals that they think will make them happy and uh what what's wrong with that is that people often put too much emphasis on believing that when they achieve their goals, they'll be happy. But that's not a the right way to live because if you live that way, that's just the path to anxiety and anger. Um, anxiety being, uh, being afraid that you want to achieve those goals and anger being that uh, you'll get frustrated when you don't actually achieve the goals. Interesting. And, um, I'll go ahead. Oh, no, no, keep going, keep going. <laughs> uh, uh, there's a, a philosopher, uh, Epictetus, who says, we suffer not from the events in our lives, but from our judgments we make about them. Um, and then Marcus Aurelius, uh, considered to be the greatest Roman emperor, was a Stoic, and he stated in his book Meditations, our actions may be impeded, but there can be no impeding our intentions or dispositions because we can accommodate the and adapt. The mind adapts and converts to its own purposes the obstacles to our acting. The impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, that, that was a bit of a tangent on stoicism. <laughs> but, um, no, I think it's really interesting. Yeah. And yeah. I was like looking at the four noble truths of Buddhism and it was like life is suffering, craving is suffering, we can escape suffering and then there's also the noble eightfold path. And um the craving is suffering one was really similar to what you were saying where like what we what we kind of want or like envision is like is going to cause suffering in our lives and so rather than like achieving our goals or like gaining, I guess, like material um, advances. It's like we have we have to kind of like change our mind frame or change what we desire, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah. And then it also it just kind of ties into um, Epictetus's quote. It was funny. I watched the the TED Ed on the philosophy of Stoicism. And I, oh, yeah. I like had that quote like paused in YouTube, and I was hoping to bring that up, and then you, you beat me to it. Oh yeah, well I beat you to it. Yeah, which it's pretty interesting, cause like you'd think if, like if you get hit by a car, like say you fracture your ankle, you know it's gonna it's gonna hurt, but I don't really get how that would tie into that quote where you just have to, you'd have to change your judgment in some way. Um. Yeah, it's like. Well, I guess if that happened, maybe you had plans before that happened where you were wanting to, um, like, 
play football or something. Playing a disc and, golf um, tournament. Yeah, yeah, just like that. Uh, <laughs> and um, you just have to realize that um, you don't have to place your happiness on being able to play the disc golf tournament, but um, you can't just find happiness with actually being where you are, being alive, and um, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Do you ever do you ever meditate, Claudio? Uh yeah. Well, I used well I uh, I used to meditate really often, um, because I had a teacher who um, forced me to meditate. Oh really? <laughs> and I took it. Yeah, and then I just started doing it more often when I was in college, and uh, I was doing it in high school for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then um, I spent like a couple weeks in a Buddhist monastery. And while I was there, I was doing it three times a day for about 30 minutes a session. Wow. Um, when did you go to a Buddhist monastery? Uh, that was in high school. It was the same uh, teacher. Um, was going on a, a trip to France, and we just stayed in a monastery in France. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's the... Um, uh, he's not really a... He's a bit of a... I guess he's just a teacher. His name's Thich Nhat Hanh, and he wrote a lot of books. Yeah. People. Oh. I think I have. One, I think them. I have one of his books. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I went to his monastery in France. It's called Plum Village. It's it's really enlightening to be there, and um, everybody there is really nice. It's fascinating to see how people still practice this really old lifestyle. And um, how it can really apply to everybody's life, even if they live in the developed countries and all that. Um, I would say that I would encourage anybody to go to a monastery and stay there for a week or something, because everybody who's there is, tip well, it depends on the monastery, but they're typically welcome to visitors and really happy to see people who want to learn more about practicing meditation or Buddhism. And it's not really a religion or anything. I think people probably believe that sometimes, but it's typically considered a lifestyle. Interesting. And, yeah. What might be going through your head when you're meditating? Um, well, I know a lot of stuff that you don't want to, <laughs> You don't want going through your head. You're trying to like minimize maybe a it. Time where you, where you want to just clear your mind. Um, so you just want to focus on your breathing, but then your brain just starts trailing off and thinking about other things. But actually realizing that you're thinking about other things instead of focusing on your breath is a good sign that you're doing it right. Because it's not like you're supposed to not think about anything. It's that you're supposed to realize that you're being aware of your thoughts and aware of what's going on in the present moment. Interesting. And as long as you practice more, you get better at it. And um, you start learning to really clear your mind and become more aware of everything that's going on around you and start being more content with everything that's going on.
when I was reading about yeah. when I was reading about stoicism, it was talking a little bit about fate, and I was wondering if um if Stoics are deterministic. Uh, yeah, I'd say they are. I mean, it's uh, kind of, one thing that's kind of frustrating about uh, Stoicism is that it tends to favor the status quo, and it's kind of just saying that you have to live with your situation isn't really proactive to actually dealing with a lot of problems in your life. So it's really, um, it's really more about like what I think is about, um, playing roles and playing which roles that, uh, the situation calls for and playing them to, uh, its fullest. Just when you are in a situation, you have to work it and not get frustrated. Mm-hmm. Really, if that makes sense. Yeah. I wonder if there's like a kind of like a dichotomy or contradiction between um, you're supposed to do what's best for the human race, or and maybe like also accept your but accept your position. But oh yeah. But maybe accepting your position isn't what's best, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I've have you ever watched Avatar: The Last Airbender? Castle. Yeah, the the main character Aang, he's like part of the airbending tribe and they're all based on um Tibetan monks. They have, you know, they like shave their heads, they have the orange um robes. Oh yeah. And it's just like an it's like an interesting influence for um for his like personality, I guess. And like one of his yeah. one of his big like uh, journeys in the show is learning how to like um like remove himself from like attachments like earthly attachments like i think at oh, yeah. one point his ang meets this guru and um he he tells him that if ang doesn't learn how to let go of his friends then they're going to die or something and like through meditation he has to be able to like um he has to, like be okay with his friends dying or something crazy and it was like um he, it was like super introspective where he like went into the avatar state and he like he like learned how to let go of everything he loved which I thought was kind of crazy yeah. that definitely does sound like something Buddhists would say <laughs> uh, yes yeah. because um you know uh people in or Tibetan Buddhists they develop a really passionate relationship with their masters and eventually their masters die so they have to realize that they have to be content with them dying and it's typically very difficult because they've just devoted their lives to them and then they're gone yeah so do you think you could tell us some more about bodhisattvas um yeah so uh a bodhisattva you know um like i mentioned earlier most buddhists just want to spend their time in retreat but um, they delay doing that so that then they could teach others. And um, a bodhisattva uh, that, I, that I just learned from looking up that jogged my memory is that um, they're actually set to achieve nirvana, but they did choose to delay their um, their fate just for the sake of others. And 
that's kind of them acknowledging their role as a teacher and doing a stoic thing for the sake of others. Mm-hmm. Because, um, yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of duties that people take on for the sake of the world, and a lot of those require delaying your own gratification. And are they said to have already achieved enlightenment? Pardon? Is enlightenment different than nirvana? Um, well, when you achieve enlightenment, then you're said to uh, achieve nirvana, okay. is what I understand of it. Um, <clears throat> I think it is the same thing, actually. Okay. <laughs> Another interesting thing is like the idea of karma. How, yeah, um, how is that related to like achieving enlightenment or um, what? What well, is what's the idea of karma? I suppose that karma is just what you put out in the world um, whenever you're living your life. Um, so if you choose to do good things in life, then you make good karma. And if you decide to do bad things in life, you make bad karma. And um, a lot of this stuff is recorded through the universe, and the universe pays you back through your next life. And if you've done good in your life, then you come back as something good, like a human or a dog, because that's like higher up on the things you'd want to be, like on the list of things you'd want to come back as. That's a that's a good thing to come back as. And then while well, you're one of those things you could do more in life and then just keep going up the totem pole or the list and then the top of the list is nirvana and nirvana is just not living anymore or not coming back as anything anymore um so then if you do bad stuff and you have bad karma then you just get knocked down the list and uh in these books people talk about the worst fate for a human is to turn into piece of bacteria or a snail dang so if you just keep doing bad things you'll get stuck in that cycle and it's not like a snail can do anything good for the world so they just stay as a snail and then maybe one day they'll come back as a snake or something and they'll have more of a chance and they can get back up on the, the higher end of the list whoa what do you want to come back as? Me? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think I think I've done pretty well, but um, according to like Buddhists, I haven't really practiced temperance enough, and um, so maybe I'd come back as like a mountain goat or something. <laughs> and then maybe I'd like, but uh, also what they what they think is like. Um, it's sometimes necessary to eat meat, so if you uh, sacrifice yourself as a as a mountain goat or as a cow to a human, mm-hmm. then you get to come back as something better. And just being food for somebody else is a good thing. Mm, interesting. Um, but, you know, typically, uh, well, uh, Professor Barstow actually has been writing books on this and uh, quite a few articles about vegetarian vegetarianism and Buddhism and um, how uh, people often explain how hard it is to be a vegetarian in Tibet 
and how uh, eating meat actually plays a role in just living your life and um, just being a student in Buddhism, even though it's looked down upon. Hmm. Because being vegetarian is a, is a good thing, but it's it's really hard. Yeah. It's hard there. Being vegetarian is considered living a neutral life, which is really a Buddhist goal. Um, yeah. Let's see. Uh, what about uh, eagles or like birds of prey? Are those high up on the list? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's something you'd want to be. You know, you can um, help people out if you're a bird. You can just like show them where the show people who are lost you know Tibet's a big place <laughs> and it's easy to get lost there so yeah. if you're a bird you can um, just guide lost travelers to sources of water or villages so you can help a lot of people out there nice yeah, yeah. I think coming back as a bird would be pretty cool yeah it would yeah definitely you know some birds of prey can kill like uh, it can kill people. What? <laughs> Just by running into them. Oh my gosh. So, yeah, I might yeah, have to have a I might have to have a birding episode with you and Nick in the future. Oh yeah, definitely. Thanks for, thanks for coming on the show, Claudio. Oh yeah, of course. Anytime, man. <laughs> All right. All right. I'll talk to you later. What's that? Nothing. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much to Claudio for coming on. This um, this is the conclusion of my show. Thanks for staying with us, and um, I'll talk to you guys later. Bye.